listening to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Hi, friends. I'm Bobby Lehu, the Chief Content Officer at Commons Cube. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know there are still a few tickets left for SKU Camp, our business planning boot camp held September 30th through October 3rd at the Ace Hotel in New Orleans. What I love about SKU Camp this year is it's turning into be a fascinating business growth conference where you have folks like Mike Michalowicz on how to grow a colossally successful business, Karen Kopp, business development expert on how to find revenue faster, Jake Malishkovich on how to simplify your sales process so you can do more business, just to name a few. What I love the most about SKU Camp is the attraction of the type of entrepreneurs that come to SKU Camp. I love the fact that you can come to this conference to sit by other like-minded, creative, passionate entrepreneurs and spend a little time to work on your business and plan for the upcoming year. You can register at skewcamp.com. We hope to see you there. In today's episode, CommonSkew's Chief Platform Officer, Mark Graham, and I sit down and discuss a shift that's happened in the marketplace over the past 10 or so years, the rise of the progressive distributor. These are distributors whose go-to-market strategy reflects an agency focus. They, as Mark likes to say, have an opinion about their clients and their clients' brands, and their clients value their ingenuity, their imaginative campaigns, and their sophisticated and respectful approach to the promotional products medium as something more than just an advertising vehicle, but as a form of identity. They not only inspire their clients with captivating projects, but they aspire to something greater, doing purpose-driven work that brings meaning to their lives and amplifies the value of what we do. Join Mark Ram and I as we discuss the rise of this new class of distributor, the impact they are having on the market, plus the lessons to be learned as we all work to build our own imaginative brands. Progressive distributors. Mark, Maybe this isn't the right question to ask, but I think it is for you especially. When I say the phrase progressive distributors, who are some of the brands that come to mind? And I know we'll do a disservice to folks because I'm just asking you from memory to recite those, but who comes to mind? So companies like Fairware, uh, Anthem Branding, there's a company called 12NYC that I was uh, came across from uh, Pierre at Chameleon, like had put me onto them, uh, as well as a company called Select Design that's out of Vermont. Planet Logo is one that comes to mind as well. So these are just examples of what I define as movement first, philosophy first, opinion first companies and product second companies. I think what I mean by that is that these are are companies that have been formed with a very strong opinion about the service and the value that they're offering in the marketplace. And that's, that's what's first and foremost. That's what they've built their business around. And that's ultimately what they're selling to their customers as opposed to, and this is a subtle, subtle difference as opposed to a company that says, I want to go and sell promotional products to customers who need promotional products. And I think that if, if that is what the value proposition is, that's the founding value proposition for a distributorship, then oftentimes what you'll see is a distributorship that is very product-centric, very product-first, and all that other stuff happens afterwards. And so it's like it's, it's inverted. So that's why, that's why I refer to the idea of uh, brand first, uh, opinion first, and product second, as opposed to it the other way, uh, other way around. 
Yeah. Now I've received many of these emails from you over the over the years, actually, of check out this distributor. And I've noticed something that you have a good eye for and you'll catch, and that is that typically it's their front facing, their front door, if you will, their website. And it's typically inspirational or it's imaginative. There's something about it. There there's the investment, the time, the money they put into making you automatically feel something, think something, or um, yeah. you know, be inspired by something going on their website. So you'll dig a few clicks deep. But to me, it's always fascinating because we have such a great opportunity with our medium to be inspirational and to put our best foot forward and how few distributors really do take that, you know, make that kind of investment. Yes, um, I, I, I do. And I, I think for me, I, I know it's, it's a personal thing. Um, everyone's tastes are unique. Right. But I... I think that I've always been very driven by first impressions. If your first impression of something is is positive and if your impression of the brand matches what you think it is and everything is consistent, that that means a lot to me if I think about it from an end buyer perspective. And of course, I mean, I've started a distributorship, I've started a software company, but I, I'm also a customer, right? I'm a, I'm a customer right. day in and day out, just like you are, Bobby. And, and as right. a result, I, I think that you develop these opinions about brands that you, that you work with. And I think that, that I can take that to the promotional products industry and think about that as we develop our own brand. I mean, we're not perfect, but we spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of stuff, which I think yeah. gives me the ability to make opinions about other people's brands as well. Yeah. And I love how um, these sites and these companies will make you feel something. And, you know, I'm really big on us focusing on emotion yeah. um, because we don't do it enough. What is it about their brand positioning and specialization that you notice? Brand personality, I think, is the thing that uh, hmm. really pops out at me. Like this is a company with a specific way of seeing the world. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and, and I can get a sense of the kinds of people that work there. And all the brands that I just mentioned are all pretty different. I mean, yes, they may all have a, a, a strong brand and strong focus on design, but in terms of who it is that they sell to, each of those distributors are pretty different, which I think is pretty cool. So brand personality yeah. is, is the one thing that really screams out at me. And I think the other thing that I also think about when I look at these brands is who they speak to and who they don't speak to. Hmm. What's interesting, if you go to uh, 12NYC. Okay. So I, I had mentioned them and again, a shout out to Pierre at Chameleon for having uh, introduced me to those folks um, right. a, a little while ago. You go to a, a website like that, 12NYC.com. You are either going to say, this is the company for me, or this is not the company yeah. for me. And right. I love that about distributors and suppliers. And I really love that about any company out there that I work with um, or that I buy product from. And I think that that is so important because distributors today, if they, if they lack that brand position, they lack that, that, that position in the marketplace, they end up wasting their time with a lot of people who come to them looking for quotes or looking for ideas. And it's really not the right customer. But if your site is very clear about what kind of personality you project into the marketplace, what kind of value you project into the marketplace, then you're going to get better customers that show up at your door that will prevent you from wasting all sorts of time. And I think that 
for distributors that have got the lookalike sites that say, hey, we can sell lots and lots of product. Well, it's not no surprise right. that a customer is going to come to you and say, well, I think that you're the right distributor for me. Can you give me a quote? And I think for a company yeah. like 12NYC or a Select or an Anthem, the ones that we're talking about right here, that would be their worst nightmare because it would be a waste of their time. Right. We had an episode we recorded with Frank Thompson of Planet Logo, and we talked about this, about the, how they wrangled with their website and the fairly esoteric language they were using on it that wasn't just buy your mug here, but it challenged and inspired not only the buyer, but themselves to sort of present the best version of themselves that they could. In fact, what we kind of discovered through that episode was that what they're doing with the language and the design and the personality or the character, like you like to say, is that they are creating something aspirational, not only for themselves, but also for the client. And I think that's one similarity I see with all of these brands is that when you go there, you're not only inspired, but you're you aspire to something greater. So if you're a buyer, then you want to create or build something special for your brand that's unique. And so that's what you can sort of taste a little bit when you go to some of these sites. But it's it admittedly, when we talked with Frank Thompson, it's a difficult battle to have inside. Yes. Because on one hand, you will take you'll take a 10,000 piece mug order with a one one color spot logo on it all day long if you're yep. that company. But you also, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, you'll lead with probably the aspirational so that you can capture the imagination of the prospect. You could say it's the same reason why a supplier will lead with the cool fuchsia color. I don't know if fuchsia is cool, but I'll just <laughs> throw it out there for a polo shirt, <laughs> knowing that that will bring people in the door, but yeah. they're going to sell navy and black all day long. So right. it, 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 right. it, I, I think it's a fairly common thing that you see. And and you're right. I, I remember Ted was speaking, Ted Church uh, at Anthem was speaking at SKU Camp last year. And he was talking about the mix of his business that, you know, yes, there's lots of business that he's doing that's very design forward and very creative and very cool. But there's also a significant part of his business that will will be a white mug with a one color logo. I don't know how significant, but he would be silly to turn that business down because sometimes that's what your client needs. And you would be a bad business person if you were not uh, servicing the needs of the client, provided it was being done at a responsible margin. Yeah. Are you seeing other similarities in these progressive brands besides design and the inspirational aspect of their branding? And, and we don't know all of these well enough, right, inside their culture or anything to, to but I don't know if anything comes to mind. I think what I see is the ability to put a stake in the ground about the kind of market that they're serving. And a great example of that is what Denise and Sarah have done at Fairware, where it's very clear that they're a design forward company like a 12 NYC or a select design or an Anthem, just using those as examples, but you scratch beneath the surface and they're really focusing in on ethical promotional products, eco-friendly, ethically sourced promotional products. And that is a big part of their area of expertise. And what I think is neat about that is the ability to not only differentiate based on design, but then to also really focus in in a specific area. And that that's what I see as unique about these companies is that they're not afraid to put a stake in the ground as to who they're servicing. Yeah. And typically what happens with the distributor is that their clients will impact this direction as much as anything. So they will start working. They, they know who they want to be uh, as they mature as a business. 
but they also, the client will lead them in direction, meaning, you know, if you're calling on progressive technology companies, their culture will impact yours. If you're calling on insurance and finance, that culture will impact yours. And, and I often wondered, you know, does that alter the progressive nature of your brand and does it shape it? I asked a distributor once, I asked, did you create your own UVP or did your clients lead you there? For most of us, our clients sort of lead us there, but it's also a two-part process. We also consciously make a choice to follow that client and therefore design and develop that UVP. But I can easily see where somebody like Rightsleeve, for example, calls on a lot of technology companies. And so you get this very clean, progressive, fashion-forward brand that caters to that audience. And it naturally impacts who you are, the way you go to market. Yes. And and I think I think that you you make a great point in that. And I think it's sales 101 to reflect the beliefs and cultures and attitudes of your clients, right? Like right. If you'll well remember from your Robin days that you weren't going to walk into your big oil and gas client in Oklahoma city wearing cutoff jeans, right? You're not right. going to do that. You're going to be, you're going to go with your fancy suit and tie. But I think that's only one part of it. What I think is interesting, and you use the example of right sleeve, and I can speak to that given my experience with the company is that Yes, you reflect the the look and feel of your clients so that you're working with like-minded people. That's sales 101. But then over time, as you develop a real area of expertise, servicing that kind of client or that the you, you've, you've got a certain opinion or a certain attitude, that then that can then translate well into more conservative clients. So a given example, there are certainly more conservative clients like financial institutions that I can think of on the right sleeve side that come to us because they're looking for a certain kind of project that their existing distributor cannot work with. And we don't change how we communicate or interact with that more conservative client because we know that the project that we're ultimately delivering is a creative forward project and we're not going to sacrifice our own brand personality for that. Right. And I think that's what those clients want. Yeah. I was just about to mention this millennial impact on the way we go to market now, because even with, like say with Robin, we would have insurance clients, staffing clients, finance clients, very traditional type of brands. The, the interesting part that was happening, the tension that was going on probably in my last several years that I was there was that you, ha but you had millennial buyers within these companies that were also bringing their own personal tastes to bear upon the purchasing. So you had big brands, but they were being driven and the budget was being determined by a millennial buyer, you could have a 23-year-old that has a million-dollar budget that they're responsible for. And that does impact who they choose as a buyer, and it impacts how you present yourself as a company. Yes, I, that's that's a great point. And, you know, the question is, is your brand seen as relevant to a millennial buyer? Now, millennial buyers come in all shapes and sizes, right? There are some that are uh, very progressive and love technology and want an Amazon-like experience, or there's other millennials that may be more influenced by social media and they want to have a very dynamic relationship with their distributor partner through social media. Then you have other millennials that are could be very conservative and want to do things face-to-face -face and they want that handshake and they think that the Amazon experience is not what they want because they want a more in-person relationship B2B type experience. And that, that I, I think is really critical to make sure that there's no generalizations that are made about any kind of buyer and their age. But it, it is a great point that 
you, you, you do have this younger generation that is coming up and making significant buying decisions. And the question is, are, are you relevant to them? Right. To chase that a little bit too, what we're seeing with most of the younger buyers, you're seeing less of a disconnect between the technology that they love, that they want to seamlessly integrate into their lives, but also the fashion forward trends that they see in the marketplace. They want these fashion forward trends to, to reflect upon the companies they work for. And I've seen that a lot over the past several years. It's been a huge change, I think, in the market. In fact, I'm going to suggest that our medium itself has become more sophisticated. So you could have walked the show floor 15 years ago and not seen 20% of the fashion brands that now flood our industry, maybe more. So I suggest that the respectability, the street cred, if you will, of swag has actually increased making it a viable and desirable form of identity. So forget marketing for a moment, just sheer identity. So if culture has risen as a key factor in businesses today, and it follows suit that if culture is important and people go to work for someone with a distinct culture, they're also likely proud to be a part of that culture and want to identify with it strongly. So I think this is actually an incredibly positive thing about our medium that's chained and shifted in the tone of the marketplace is that they respect the medium for something as a form of identity. Yes, because I think that if you were, it's a great point, and if you were to look back, maybe Maybe even 10 years ago when the range of product were not as great as they as they are right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you you talk about this this buyer that's coming in that's proud of where they work they may have thought 10 years ago oh promotional products cheap swag stress toys okay fine whatever uh, i need to order that for my trade show that's coming up i don't really care because i don't think that there's anything cool out there Yeah. Whereas what I think you're seeing now is that you get that young person who's coming into, let's say, Google. Uh, They're really proud of the fact that they're working at Google and they want to make sure that they're responsible for bringing in products that reflect what Google's all about. Yeah. And they know that there are so many great, creative, exciting options that are out there. And I think that's an opportunity for distributors that can really sink their teeth into that. Yeah. And I also think it's a challenge for a lot of distributors as well that are not as up to speed with the, the wide range of products, as well as the ability to really curate stuff that is going to be relevant to that kind of buyer. Yeah. Even traditional distributors are being faced with this internal pressure to create more design centric and fashion forward ideas to their clients in the past several years as well. So they're feeling that tension. How do you think margins are with these progressive distributors? Obviously, I'm going to make a assumption that they're very healthy, but let's let's explore this a little bit. Do you think these distributors struggle with overhead of any kind for, for these sophisticated design requirements? Are they hemmed in by set price lists from the industry or has customization non-catalog projects really become such a normal part of the repertoire that they don't struggle with this at all? What do you know? What do you think? Well, I think here's a, a couple of general observations. I think, number one, the margins, gross margins, I should say, for these distributor types are higher than most um, because they know that what they're selling is more than just a skew out of the Leeds catalog or out of the Sandmar catalog that everyone else can get. They're, they're adding demonstrable value above and beyond that product in a number of different ways. So they know as a result, now, now the competitive landscape is that much smaller, they're able to charge more for it, as, as they should be. So that, that's the good news. I think the, the bad news is that their overhead is going to be quite a bit higher than the lean and mean distributor that may be selling at 25 or 30 points, but goes, listen, I, I don't have the fancy office. 
I don't have the fancy, you know, pool table. I don't have the fancy staff. I don't have the fancy designer who's on staff, blah, 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 blah. I can do this. And most of the money flows to the bottom line. And that's a fair point. So I think that the, the risk that this distributor class, this agency distributor class can run into is if they are not hyper-focused on managing their overhead and making sure that either that is kept in check or that if they've got a designer on staff, that they're able to monetize that, that they're able to make sure that that's, that's billable to the end client as opposed to um, that being absorbed. Because at the end of the day, if you're selling product at 45% margin, that may be really amazing. But if you've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on artwork concepts, then that may actually be a 30% gross margin order without you really knowing it. And I think that some creative distributor uh, principles can struggle with that. So it, it is it is important to make sure that on one hand, it is actually really cool and sexy. But on the other hand, you could put yourself out of business if you're not mindful of the overhead. You, did you? I'm sure you faced that challenge too. Did you ever have those that moment where you sort of woke up and went, oh my God, we're spending so much on design and we're not billing our customers enough? Was there a wake-up call for you? Yeah, of course. I mean, I can talk a big game about how... Uh, how great the right sleeves uh, story was over the years. But the reality is that it wasn't like that. Um, I mean, we've had more successes than failures, but we've had a lot of failures. And I'll give you an example of that. Like right from the early days, I started off out of my house almost 20 years ago and then moved after, after about a year and a half in that uh, home environment, moved out into an office and then moved into another office and then did a big construction project where we made uh, turn the office into this really beautiful space with lots of light, uh, then started adding employees. But then all of a sudden, we had this huge amount of overhead and we were always struggling, at least in the earlier days, to realize our potential. We'd created an office environment with overhead that meant our business should have been twice the size. And on one hand, you could say, okay, the entrepreneur in me was investing ahead of the growth, which I think is, you could make an argument that, that that's smart. But at the end of the day, if you're not growing to meet those overhead uh, um, requirements, then you could put yourself out of business. So th there's no question that we struggled with that. And I think that we solved it through uh, better sales reporting, better sales accountability, and also the ability to um, recover some of the artwork costs that we were incurring because we had on on-site uh, design people um, to make sure that that was either being built into the project margin or it was being passed along to the client. Like that took us a while to figure out. So we've made lots of mistakes. One of the things I love about the rise of these progressive distributors is the the line in the sand they've drawn in the marketplace when it comes to e-commerce. When e-commerce was first coming on the scene, everybody was scared to death that they were going to lose their business and that if they didn't get on the e-commerce bandwagon, then they were going to just lose, period. And what you're seeing now is that th that has sort of shaken out and it's played out to where there are distributors saying, that is not us. Here's the line in the sand. Here's who we are. And it's pretty bold. And I love it too, because it, it like you said, it actually, it, you can make a decision as a prospect when you go to that site, whether or not that's a company you want to do business with pretty quickly. Um, and, and it's admirable, but I also think the market has forced this. So because technology, because, because buyers can purchase a promotional product at the click of a mouse, it's forced an interesting advancement in the industry for distributors to rise to the challenge of becoming more agency minded. So in an interesting way, the, the market and the competitive demands have shaped them, but not in the way that you think. It didn't shape them to become more like e-commerce. It shaped them to become something completely different. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting point. Um, and I think at the end of the day, what 
the, the similarity between some of these companies we're talking about and let's say uh, for imprint, which is the classic transactional e-commerce site in our industry, is that the two of them are united in a great technology experience. Okay. Because the buyer can go onto the site and they can learn about what they're offering. So that, that part is consistent. I think where they, the road splits is that the buyer who's on for imprint is very clearly looking for a hundred mugs with a one color logo at a good price with great service that will be delivered within three days. And for imprint nails that. Whereas the, what these other companies are offering is the exact opposite of that. Their site is speaking to what the buyer is looking for. So is the buyer looking for that transactional mug or are they looking for that project, that marketing project that can be developed to deliver tangible ROI? And I think that the buyer is looking for one or the other and both companies are optimized to helping out with that. Yeah. What do you think the clients value with these progressive distributors? I had a mentor a few years ago who is in the advertising world. And he said something to me that stuck with me to this day. And he said, when clients of his, it was a big global ad agency that he, that he was um, a senior executive at, he said, our clients come to us, Agency X, because we have an opinion about their business. And I, it was very, very simple, but very profound. And so I answer the question that same way, that a distributor, or sorry, an end client values these progressive distributors the most because they have an opinion about the end client's business or the challenge that they're being uh, asked to solve. And I think that's very different if an end client is going to a more traditional distributor and they're going with, I need ideas for a trade show, or I just need 500 mugs shipped for next week, because that's a lot more product centric. There's the, the, who cares about the opinion at that point? <laughs> it's all about, can you source this? And can you get it to me at a good, reasonable price by next week? And that's different. Um, it's just a different ask. You know, skeptics will respond, listen to this and say, you know what? Under the hood, these guys are all the same. And you've heard it. Suppliers say this a lot. The distributors are all the same. And I've argued forever that they are not. So you'll hear this pushback. But what I like to suggest is what I see happening are these progressive distributors are leading with the most inspirational and aspirational projects that they work on. And frankly, that's what the buyer loves and harnesses to. And then they have the trust established where they'll just give them the 10,000 piece mug order. But it's leading with these projects. So people would ask me that all the time about story selling, you know, leading with these projects. It doesn't mean that every project you're going to get is a spectacular experience for the buyer. Sometimes they just want 10,000 one color spot mugs. But what they want, they attach to you because when they do have that one project that's critically important to the value of the brand, they know they can trust you. Yes. So it's interesting you say that. So if you look at the experience you had at Robin and you think about the experience I have at Right Sleeve, think of Robin as a market leader in offering store solutions to larger, sophisticated companies. And Robin does an excellent job of that. And then on the other side, and so that, that is your true value add. You look at the other side, you look at a company like Right Sleeve or some of the other ones that I've been talking about. Where it is that we really differentiate in the marketplace is building merchandise, design forward merchandise collections. 
Um, at the end of the day, that's what it is that we do. And that's what we're leading with as we go to market. Yet both Robin and Right Sleeve are very happy to take that 10,000 baseball hat order with 5,000 stitches of embroidery at 40 points. Thank you very much. And we're going to do that all day long. But we're getting that business because we've led with something that is aspirational and differentiated and has earned the client's trust. Your advice to the young entrepreneur who sees a TED church with Anthem and wants to build that type of brand. By the way, let me interject something. I was sitting at Skew Camp with a distributor that I respect. She's an up and coming, fast rising star who sees someone like TED Church. And I was literally sitting between them and we had this very discussion where she had some fairly traditional buyers, but she saw who she wanted to be and asked the question to Ted, how do I get there? One step at a time. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's one answer. Um, the other answer is, I think it's really important to focus in on the ideal customer. And so in this particular instance, if you look at Ted's story, just as one example, Ted had an opinion about the business that he wanted to start where design was the differentiator. And so as a result, it wasn't like he was running around hustling, selling white coffee cups for the lowest price, even though if he did, it may have resulted in some quick sales that he chose to have that focus on what it was uh, on the on the ideal client that he was looking to serve. And so that's why I say one step at a time. Now, yes, it's challenging that sometimes you may you may think or you you may know that you are cool and differentiated and fashion forward and all this stuff and creative, yet you're in a market where everyone just wants to buy cheap pens. Um, fair enough that 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 can be a challenge. But to the point that I was making before, that I, I even believe within traditional conservative clients that there's an opportunity to think creatively. And it doesn't necessarily mean going, coming in with the fuchsia polo shirt. Um, <laughs> it, creative thinking is really around understanding what the client is looking to accomplish and then coming up with a creative solution for that. And I, I think at the end of the day, that, that's, that's the most important part of this is, is, is that creative thinking and doing it one step at a time and surrounding yourself with customers that really buy into that. And I think once you have that, then you're able to build a great foundation, at which point you can then go buy your own building and 13 graphic designers. Right. Which I will also add what many of us will see these brands and say, that's who I want to be. It's an evolution, not a revolution. So even when you go back and listen to Ched Church's episode, you'll find that he came through a traditional distributorship. And what you see happening in his mind is this evolution of the brand, this evolution of who Ted Church is. And, and we get now the finished package. We see it, we hear it, we buy the story and we go, okay, he totally revolutionized his business. No, he evolutionized his business and it took a longer time. But here's the other corollary to that. The story we tell ourselves about ourselves and our brand has the power to come true. So uh, simultaneously, as you're beginning to call those clients, I mean, back in the day where we decided the company stores were going to be our UVP, it was a tough conversation to have even amongst our own team members because we had a lot of traditional customers that didn't fit that model. And we always did. We always had those baked into the business. But it began the evolution of who it was we were going to be when we grew up. And the story, I remember an ad agency buddy told me, Mark, one time, um, I told him, I joked that I was just a pencil salesman. And he actually got on to me a little bit. He said, man, do not demean yourself and your medium in that way ever again. And it was a very short 
sharp acerbic comment he made to me. I never forgot it because what we say to ourselves about the medium that we sell, what we say to ourselves about the business we're in will speak volumes to the clients and the kind of prospects that we attract to our business. Yep. That is a great point. I need to add also that within your business, one way to draw out how to become more progressive as a distributor is to hang on to those successful client projects that you do that fit that model and begin to market those better. So share those stories better. That's what Ted with at the Anthem does. That's what, you know, that's what Planet Logo will do. They will lead with those aspirational stories. Brandfield will do that. They will lead with the most aspirational campaigns that they can think of that will help shape the view of who it is that they are and who they want to be. Well, because at the end of the day, that is, that's what they do that's unique. Right. Right. Like that's the, that's the opinion that I was talking about. Yes. The opinion is not that page 33 of the leads catalog. It's, it's just not that, that that's the opinion of the entire industry, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why they're leading with that. And I think that that's, that's something for, I think everyone to learn, you don't need to look at 12 NYC.com and try to mimic what they're doing. If you scratch beneath the surface, they're very focused on the fashion world. I mean, that's their buyer. So they've designed the site to focus specifically on that market. That's not Anthem Branding's market. Uh, Anthem Branding does not sell to the fashion business. As Fairwear's market is not the fashion business, even though all three of them are united in this great forward-thinking design approach. They're, they're, they're each going after different segments and they're focusing their case studies around those different segments. So I think that that's the nuance around all these companies. You can't lump them all into the same category at all. Yep, totally true. One of the things that I enjoy about this conversation is that I think it gives us all something to strive for. And you and you can easily go to these websites, not to just rip them off, but to sort of get inspired to build something better and to build something greater. Well, and I think what's exciting in the promotional products industry is that it's actually never been easier for your creativity, your opinions. That's a big word I've been using this whole podcast. It's never been easier to be able to put those front and center. If you look at platforms like Squarespace and WordPress are just two examples that come to mind where either you can do them yourself or if you're intimidated by some of the, some of the website setup, you can hire someone on contract for a very reasonable price to help you articulate this brand personality and this opinion does not need to cost what it did back in the day. And I think that that's, that's what's exciting. The people in this business are all creative. They all have opinions about the different markets that they want to go to sell, uh, sell to. And I think that if more people in the industry think like some of these companies we've been speaking about here today, then our industry will continue to thrive. It's already thriving right now, to your point, in terms of all the great new products. You know, uh, PPAI just reported some great uh, sales gains in the last 12 months in the promotional products industry. I mean, what a great foundation we've got. You imagine if more distributors spend more time on their brands and their positioning, how much more customer segments that could unlock for this industry. I mean, we could be 35 billion within a couple of years. I know, <laughs> I know I'm optimistic, but I tell you, uh, we've got a huge, huge number of people in this industry that could really grow their sales if they spent some time on this. Absolutely. There's never been a better time to be in the business. Mark, this has been fun. Thanks for exploring this topic. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening.